it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of your favorite Swimbait Podcast, Scales and Tales, episode 104. Today we're joined by by a man who's kind of migrated from coast to coast. He is now on the on the East Coast side of things, and uh, you know we, we got a lot to talk about. We got we got some California fishing and some. Are, where are you at exactly now? Are you in North Carolina? Yeah, so I'm in I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, um, okay, perfect. Yeah. Hell yeah! So we're joined by Mr. Andrew Swaim, who I'm sure you guys are familiar with if you've uh, you know poked around on Facebook and, and seen him comment and stuff. Uh, he's best friends with Chad Yates, if you guys have ever have ever <laughs> seen one of Chad's posts. But uh, yeah, we're joined by Andrew. We've got uh, quite a bit to kind of talk about, to pick his brain and unpack in this episode. So no better way to get it started, man. How did, uh, I guess, who are you? What do you do? We'll, we'll start off with that first. Like you said, my name's Andrew Swaim. Uh, I am a knuckle dragger originally from southern california born and raised um in 2017 i moved to north carolina for my wife's job and uh wouldn't move back (laughs) so uh i i uh pretty pretty typical story of how i got into fishing mom's dad grandpa um see my older brother and i uh up to the eastern sierras for trout fishing and occasionally saltwater fishing Kind of skipped a generation though. Um, my, like I said, it's my mom's dad uh, that got me into it. My dad is not into fishing at all. So from a pretty young age, it was me on my own doing it and figuring it out and learning. Oh, no shit, dude. So it, I guess, <clears throat> so you grew up, you said in SoCal fishing. Was it saltwater fishing or just whatever you could go do? Everything. So, I mean, it pretty, like I said, pretty typical. It was like starting out with trout fishing and stuff like that. Um, I grew up in a small uh, plant community that had a couple lakes um, that used to be really, really good. And then uh, I don't know if it was, you know, I think it was a combination of poor management and uh, too many people fishing there. Um, kind of went downhill. But uh, I started fishing saltwater really, really hard when I was in middle school. Um, I actually, pretty much at that point until i graduated high school almost only saltwater fish if i went bass fishing it was like you know winter time and fishing sucked um i uh ended up working on the big saltwater boats in socal the party boats people call them and then uh so that kind of led me to college i uh wasn't gonna I wasn't one for academics and it turned out that there's a school called the California Maritime Academy. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, Hey, you have to go to college. And, uh, this is a school to literally go work on boats and ships. Um, so went and got a four year degree for tying knots, chipping paint. Um, <laughs> but that was up in the San Francisco Bay area. And I actually kind of rekindled my love for bass fishing because bass fishing in i mean a lot of people call it norcal it's not really norcal um it's really central california if you look at a map but for all argumentative purposes it's norcal the bass fishing is so much better up there though you know clear lake Berryessa, the delta um any number of unnamed uh park lakes including the one where i got my personal best i mean there's all the records are like upper teeners you know and there's just mm-hmm. so much more water than southern california so um so graduated from college in 2012 um lived in the bay area for a couple more years and 
that was really just a lot of hardcore bass fishing. Um, and I met a lot of really, really great people that really helped me along. Um, me and Caesar got close. Uh, if you've been around for a while, you might know the name Mike Profumo or Ali Moyeti. Um, I fished with those dudes. I learned a ton from them. Um, great, great guys. And then I moved back to SoCal in uh, 2014, and there was this big shift in saltwater fishing. Um, you know, all the cool exotic warm water stuff that we'd maybe see for one month out of the year, you know, in the fall was kind of came a consistent thing. So side note, I'm sure people have talked about it on this podcast, just mentioning it from the SoCal guys, but apparently there's some potential uh, current change. And that's why we're seeing all these giant bluefin and stuff locally. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I lived back in SoCal from 2013 to 27 or sorry, 2014 to 2017. And it was pretty much just saltwater fishing. Um, and then, uh, like I said, big life change in 2017, my wife's company wanted to move us out to Charlotte and it was kind of like, you'd see the writing on the wall with everything and how the state was going. And, uh, we left. Yeah. Yeah. So, I was just uh, about to say, it sounds like you had gotten out of there at a good time before, you know, stuff hit the fan with, with recent events and everything. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, I went, I've been back a few times. Um, I went back for a wedding, uh, in Christmas 2021 and like went to my favorite restaurant in LA and LA looked like a third world country man. Power was out in a few blocks and dumping rain. It was just like tent city. Like where are we? So wow. yeah. That's big that's big change. Crazy as hell, man. So three words. Lake Pro Tackle. Lake Pro Tackle has all the fishing equipment you need to have success on the water. Friends of the podcast will receive 15% off their order with code SCALES at checkout. On their website, you can find exclusive and rare baits as well as rods and reels to have that dream combo. Check out their social media pages for constant updates with new arrivals. Lastly, orders over $50 get free fast shipping. Remember to use code SCALES, all cap locks, to save 15% off on your orders at lakeprotackle.com. Your favorite swim bait podcast is now proudly sponsored by Leviathan Rods. Leviathan Rods is a Texas-based fishing rod company that's handcrafted and uses high-end, made-in-the-USA rod blanks. Every sale from Leviathan helps support foster youth and their families. With Leviathan Rods, you're not only going to feel a difference, but you're going to help make a difference, too. Friends of the show will also get 20% off their rod purchases by using code SCALES20 at checkout. So whether you're fishing a depth 250 or a square bill, make sure you're using the best rod choice out there, Leviathan Rods. San Francisco. I mean, that's where, like you were saying that there are a lot of lakes in that area that everybody knows about. I mean, if you, if you, um, there's like a couple chapters in Sal Belly where they talk about, you know, Dixon Lake right outside San Diego, right in, uh, right at that like little park outside town and like all these other lakes. And, you know, dude, that's like where the world record was supposed to come out of for, for a handful of years, like that five or six years, like 1999 to like 2005 that's where everybody thought the world record was going to come out of and that was kind of like the big fish um gold rush was that still a thing in that like 2010 2012 time you were there or did it kind of mellow out by then no it had already died out by then unfortunately so um you can do a little more research and if you like i don't have the whole story but oh you're good (laughs) i want to say it was around 2011 was when the state started to really pump the brakes hard on the trout stocking programs Mm. everywhere yeah um 
so like a lot of lakes that have been getting just they just completely stopped getting trout and if they did keep getting trout it was like the truck would show up and it'd like throw a couple of net pulls in the, in the lake and be like all right you got your trout so um yeah so unfortunately unfortunately for me like age-wise i really missed out that like golden age like you know i was born in 1990 so that stuff was kicking off when i was you know a toddler um but uh it's funny you mentioned all the small lakes so i know you're reading sal belly and uh have you gone to the part about um God, what's his name <sighs> paul duclos have you read about him yet is that the cop no that's bob Krupe. so bob Krupe fished the lagoon paul duclos fished a really small park lake called spring lake outside of santa rosa about 45 minutes north of san francisco and he actually caught what could have been the world record but mm -hmm. they couldn't get it on scale so story ah. goes he catches this paul duclos was an, a known giant facer um one of the the first advertisements i remember seeing that like actually moved me as a kid involving fishing was an old shimano ad for the calcutta and it's paul duclos stand it's you know he's in full rain gear he's holding two teeners one in each hand it says like have you ever met the girl of your dreams twice in one day <laughs> um, shout out to uh, I don't know if he wants to be named, but the owner of Odie Rat is a close friend of mine, and mm. uh, he actually I think I sent him that ad at one point. I was like, man, I love this ad, and he actually blew it up and made it into a poster. So it's in my it's in my fishing room. Um, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> anyway, so Paul Duclos was old school. He trolled Castaics um, in the late '90s, early 2000s. I want to say it was like 2002 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Catches this giant can't find a scale so he literally lived like it's like a park lake and his house was across the street and he gets his bathroom scale jumps on the scale sees his own weight grabs a fish jumps on the scale with the fish and his scale tells him it's 24 pounds oh my gosh dude obviously obviously like not you know certified in any way shape or form and he can't I, again i can't remember the whole story i highly recommend looking into it he ends up saying fuck it and releases a fish. Um, and uh, things got bad for him. He had to like do some kind of wacky stuff. Like he was getting all kinds of threats. And like he actually, uh, I heard from one friend that kind of knew him a little bit on a personal level. And apparently he had to like change the numbering on his house because like people were coming to his house and like threatening him over this whole thing, which is insane. But uh, He's wild story. Highly recommend it. Yeah, I'm going to have to look into that. Did uh, when when you were when you were in uh, San Fran, did you ever hear the talk and, and people chirping about Mike Long and because because from what I have have heard and have uh, seen and, and stuff is you know it was kind of locally known that he was he was doing some sketchy shit. Was that ever talked about? Oh then? yeah, oh yeah, big time. I mean, pretty much since the internet got big, you started hearing those rumors coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you go back, a lot of the rumors were like, obviously there's the snagging stuff, but there was a lot of fish transportation stuff. Yeah. So you talk to a lot of guys and they'll be like, look at the picture of that fish. That's, you know, fish look different in almost every lake. Not, I mean, there's like an archetype for like a grassy lake or a rocky lake or a muddy lake. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, it just didn't add up. Like, you know, he caught like a dark, dark, coolie dweller bass 
in a lake that was like super clear, just rock and a weed, you know, like none of it made sense. So, right. um, hmm. I mean, one of my close friends, John Curry, his uncle before his uncle passed away, had the Diamond Valley record, got a 14. And then Mike Long showed up and went out on his boat and 20 minutes later came back with how big the fish was. Right. You know, <laughs> so I don't know if they officially rescinded the record, but a lot of people don't even consider Mike Long's stuff anymore after everything. Cause why would you? Right. Yeah, dude, that shit's, <clears throat> that shit's so crazy. And okay. So we'll kind of, we'll kind of get into, you know, the, the fishing side stuff a little bit more than that. We've had a little history lesson here. <laughs> so when did you get into swim baits? Was it around that time you got back into bass fishing or when did it kind of present itself to you? So it was actually way before that. Um, I want to say I got my first swim bait probably around 2001. Oh, shit. Um, bear in mind that I was just a punk kid at a park lake, not knowing what I was doing. I would just like throw a swim bait and occasionally catch like a four or five pounder. But it was still cool to me, you know? Um, yeah. And they were, it wasn't like it was now for me. Actually, I shouldn't say that. It's more like it is now for me because there was a while it was like swim baits only kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And now I do a lot of conventional fishing again just because of where I am. But um, yeah, it was just, you know, um, Ospreys, uh, you know, broke kids. So it's hard baits were also like pretty rare back then. There weren't, there really weren't a lot of hard baits on the market. You know, there was the Rego stuff. Uh, Scott and Triple Trout obviously had some stuff out. That was there wasn't a whole lot else. Um, so I was mostly throwing, you know, Mickey's soft baits through the mission fish a lot. Um, again, Ospreys, uh, the three sixteen bluegill, that kind of stuff. So, um, and and this bizarre little bait that Scott from Triple Trout made. I don't even think it had a name, but it was the ugliest little thing. But the thing just got slaughtered. Yeah, and so that 2000, you know, that time, was was it common to see other guys doing it in your area, or was it, you know, was this like the beginning of the beginning almost? Um, I think if you'd gone to the real lakes back then, you would have seen it, but for my, like, again, I was, you know, this is before I even had a driver's license, so I wasn't really exploring a whole lot. I'm sure right, if I'd, yeah. you know, gone out and driven around, I would have seen it, but just due to the nature of me being stuck at local stuff i didn't see it i how knew did, a few guys so. yeah how did you get into it did you just go to and go into a tackle store and and see it one day or did you you know i yeah i guess or i guess how did you how did you find out about them i think i just kind of saw them one day i was like that's kind of cool and like grab and the, the very first one i had i don't remember what it was called it was some chinese swim day i actually saw it again like years later at a shop um but I still remember the first fish I first swim bait fish I ever caught. It was like a four, four and a half pound fish. And it was at a park, you know, little community lake I lived near. And I was probably 11 or 12 or something. And I saw this fish just kind of cruising down the bank. I like pitched a jig or something at it. Cause back then my go-to was like a quarter ounce, uh, striking bitsy bug with a smoke trailer and, uh, didn't react at all. I'm like, Huh, I wonder if that big thing I got would get a reaction out of it. So of course I like chop it off, like pitch it out, and things smoked it before it even hit the bottom. I was like, huh, it's kinda of interesting. 
and like never thought about it again. <laughs> huh? Damn, dude. So I mean, that was like you. What year did you say? Two thousand one, two thousand two. Yeah, somewhere in there. So at least twenty, at least twenty-one years. Damn, dude. That that is absolutely crazy. I mean, that was you know, Butch had the two was the only person probably to have two fifties at this point in time, and. You know, this was probably right around the time where the Huddleston was was just absolutely reaping fish in California, and nobody really knew about it. It was still kind of a low key thing. Yeah. And then here, here's eleven year old Andrew out there fishing, fishing whatever it may be in a pond. Like, dude, that's crazy to think about. Yeah. So around that time, me and a guy named Whitney Curry, um, original creator of Odie Rat, now does. Uh, Kurtek, me and him are very close. We've been fishing since around that time, and he was always into swim baits too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of got into it together, and uh, yeah, uh, I could kind of say the rest is history on that. We just never really looked back, right? And kind of to, to, to dive into it a little bit more. I mean, twenty-one years ago, there was. What was it? The uh, Loomis had like that nine oh six like salmon rod. What what were you using? Like what were you kind of making work before there was you know that main you, you know like there was actually lined up the swim bait rods. What were you using? What were you getting away with? So back in the day, Shimano had a series of rods called the Calcutta rods, um, and this was shortly after Shimano bought Loomis. And uh, the Calcutta rods were super high quality. I think they were like 150 to 250 bucks, which was a pretty good chunk of change back then um, for a rod. But they were made by Loomis in Washington, um, and and those they were you know they were designed as inshore rods, but they made stellar swim bait rods too. Kind of kind of the same thought train of thought with like the Loomis uh, BDR salmon rods that everybody used back then too. Yeah. Um, except these were a little faster action because they weren't salmon rods. Huh. So is that what you, is that what you were slinging was one of the Calcutta rods or is that what you ended up upgrading to when you got into it a little bit more? No, that was what I was using. Um, that and old Corrado super free 200 with, I think I used like 20 pound mono. Dang dude. (laughs) I mean, I just, and I've talked about it before, just being able to go back to that time where it was just so simple and it was just, you know, there was two rods to pick from and three reels and it's, yeah. and, you know, like five or six baits. It's like, whoa, you know, it has been 21, 22 years and how far we've came even in like the last 10 years. Like that oh, shit's crazy, dude. It's so wild. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said earlier, unfortunately, like I didn't get to really see any of this super cool swim bait stuff. Um, but I did get to kind of see the actual beginning of the glide bait craze, um, which was pretty, pretty insane. So like I vividly remember there's a lake in SoCal called Irvine Lake, um, went through a bunch of problems and I think the city's running it now, mm-hmm. but like it used to be one of the best bass lakes in Southern California. Um, and I will, I will fight people on that one. That lake was pumping out double digit fish specifically the summer of 2011 it was pumping out two or three double digits a week during the summer which is impressive no matter where you are you know you just don't really see those quality of fish typically 
Um, so anyways, I came, it's my senior year of college. I come home. One of my buddies gives me a Rego Gladiator because like back then it was like the Gladiator, the Gancraft, and the 250. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, typical California lake, deep and clear, all rock. Roll up on a point. I fire the thing out. I look down and I swear to God, there's like fork bass under it. Huh. Like there is like a hole in like a school of 40 bass. And we're both just like, that's weird. They're not biting, but they're like, we're just seeing that many fish. We're like, that's insane. I ended up like only catching a few that day, but like just seeing that volume of fish follow a bait was absolutely mind blowing. Um, yeah. So I did get to see that like here and there. But honestly, that like, or whatever you want to call it that that takeoff didn't last very long i actually watched that deteriorate pretty quickly to be honest um obviously we were still catching fish on it but it wasn't like you'd roll up to a point and draw out half the fish in the lake (laughs) yeah what uh i mean when so this is kind of making you go back a little bit and think when those fish were eating on that day you were having these big huge mega schools follow were they eating to to kill that bait? Whereas now, you know, what I'm, whether whether it's they kind of pick up on it or you know just because where I live, but it almost seems like fish here, you know, if if you fish a spot for a while, they'll kill that bait for you know a couple weeks or a couple months or a year when they start seeing that bait, and then you know if somebody else starts fishing swim baits or you start fishing that spot really hard, they kind of they're kind of starting to slap at baits a little bit more. Was that something you ever noticed change, like the the way they were eating it and the consistency behind how they were eating it? Yeah, you're you're breaking up just a tiny bit, but oh, oh you're good. I think I think you're asking if they were aggressive or not. And it was yeah. a mix, honestly. Um, I did have days on other bodies of water when I went back, and like it was pure aggression. But a lot of days it was just like you out there and you have that school of fish come up and you can just tell they're not, they're not fired up at all. It's just a curiosity mm-hmm. thing. So. Yeah. It, uh, w- was there a lot of swim bait pressure at that lake that you know of, or was it pretty new there? No, it was, I mean, at that point it was pretty, pretty common. Oh, okay. So it's not like those fish had never seen one before or like for the first time ever type thing. Uh, oh, so I think the question was we had to, we had to cut. Uh, Andrew had to switch to data to see if that was would help a little bit better. But the thing was, um, so these fish, it's not like these baits were brand new to them. They had seen swim baits before and knew what they were. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah, I just think they hadn't seen glide baits yet in the okay. in the volume that they would that they would eventually see. You know. Yeah, and you said this was when there was like the Gladiator, Gancraft, and like the 250, so there was not many out there to pick from, right? Yeah, there were almost none out there. They were kind of hard to get. And like, again, this is, you know, 2011, 2012, so just, it's not what it was as far as pressure. Like, there just weren't as many people fishing, period, in California. And, I mean two of those three baits were coming from Japan. So I'm sure that the supply here was, was incredibly lower than, than the demand. Whereas, you know, now did you, anybody can go buy a glide bait and go fish it and, and, you know, see results or see fish be turned off. Cause they've seen that bait a hundred times because they're so readily available. I'm sure that's probably 
crazy to experience on on both ends. Of oh that yeah. Spectrum. I mean, what you I, I, honestly, I think I've seen two fifties on Amazon now. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, I believe that like, for sure. Like that's just that's wild because it used to be like yeah you had to get it from Japan. Um, you know, and then for a minute there, there was when when Butch finally dropped all his footage he'd been stacking over the years. There was a you know this whole two fifty boom and like. I had a friend sell a beat up Sharpie one for four hundred and fifty bucks. Oh my you know? god, dude! And that was and that was twenty twelve. So like, the only thing that we'd seen close to that was people going stupid for Mickey stuff back in the day, um, which a lot of people weren't around then that are now. But like, you can ask some of the guys that were around. Like people, people went real dumb for Mickey stuff there for about a year. You yeah, know, I, I believe that. It's for five, six hundred bucks. One of my buddies traded. I think he traded a freestyle for like a thousand dollar Lorance unit. Oh my gosh, dude! Yeah, that's that's crazy. Was that uh, was that when he still lived in Cali, or had he moved already? Uh, he was still in California at that point. I think he moved shortly after that. He moved a while ago. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. So, you know, 2000, 2012, that time, dude, that, that's crazy. Was there, um, was Swimbait Nation a thing yet? Uh, the forum website? Yeah, yeah, the website, the website. Oh, yeah, the forum, that, yeah, so the forum was around way before that. Um, I don't know when it started, but I remember getting on there in, like, 2008. Um, Sucks. A lot of a lot of good information lost over the years with that website going down, but uh, no, it, it had already been around. And Swimbait Underground came out around 2010, I want to say. Hmm. Okay, so was it? Um, were you seeing guys on Underground and on Nation, you know, post stuff and and talk about lakes that you were fishing, or did you ever go out and fish with anybody? Um, Trevor. Tibbets was on a couple months ago and he or a couple weeks ago, whatever, and he was talking about how he was meeting up with guys all over and fishing with them when he was like twelve years old. Was that something that you ever experienced? It was it or was it more just kind of like an info dump and you were just kind of scrolling through reading, seeing what these guys had to say? Uh it was both. So uh there was a handful of dudes I became friends with because of Underground, like uh Caesar and mm-hmm. uh, my buddy Ali and uh maybe Mike Profumo to an extent. I think me and him became more friends through Facebook though. But, uh, and then another kid I used to fish with his name's Chris. Um, basically back then I worked on tugboats. So I was week on week off or two weeks on two weeks off. And, uh, Chris was like my little ride or die fishing buddy. Like he didn't do anything. So I just like, I was picking my, we just go fish. Yeah. And <clears throat> I mean, Dude, it's got it had to have been so crazy to hop on underground and there only be, you know, a hundred posts or hundred and twenty posts, whereas now there's like fucking three hundred thousand pages worth of posts on there. Like it's absolutely ridiculous to think about being kind of you know, being on those forms for the first year or even just being on Swimbait Nation at all since it isn't a thing anymore. Like that's just so cool to think about. Yeah, and that and like also like yeah, I think like how much we learn from YouTube days. I'm not just talking about fishing explicitly, just anything. Like YouTube was barely a thing back then too, you know? Yeah. Like the first yeah. guys that I remember putting up stuff on YouTube were like Black Dog put up some really cool stuff. Um 
I don't know if you've ever heard of a uh, bait company called Orso. Rip, Rip Dave. That guy made some really cool baits. He was one of the first guys to do photo finishing on baits. But mm. you look up his YouTube channel, he has some epic cast to catch stuff from Casitas from back when it was still good. <laughs> Damn. Where where was was Butch posting his stuff on like underground or on on Facebook or anything or was he just he, he I, was I guess... he was on underground okay. um, but it was really funny because he would just be like you'd hardly post anything other than like here's my five fish limit for fifty on the two fifty and right, then someone yeah. would talk shit to him and the next day he'd like post a picture of like a twelve pound fish with like a post it note stuck to the fish with that person's name on it. Yeah, <laughs> that shit. I mean, dude, that's crazy as hell. That is stuff that's not happening anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, those fish are just not like they're like they used to be, you know? Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, dude, it just, I don't know. I talk to the guys who have been around for a long time, and it's just like, damn, you know, I wish I was 10 years older so I could have gotten gotten to experience at least a little bit of that, you know, at least gotten into it at like 2013 2014 and, and experienced you know the tail end of of the kind of i mean would you say it was i don't know what the right word is maybe like because back then there was you know a couple thousand people that did it maybe whereas now you know there's a hundred thousand everybody or more that do it what yeah, I mean, you go to any park pond throughout the entire country and you'll see a dude throwing a swim bait almost. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. And that's like, I wish that I could go back and see what it felt like to, for it to really, really, really be that niche thing where, you know, you know, you know a quarter of the people on, on the forums or, you know, you know your buddies and, and they're the only ones in your town or, or in your county that are fishing swim baits. Like, that would be so damn cool. Yeah, I mean... And again, I miss that too. Like you said, I was same thing for me, like 10 years too young mm -hmm. to have really gotten to experience that cool stuff. Yeah. So when you got into it, you know, whether, whether it was 2001 or 2012, whenever, or even, you know, even a couple of years ago, what was like the craziest swim bait bite you had gotten onto while being in California? Like whether it was, you know, you caught a handful of uh, sixes to nines in a day, or you just absolutely hammered a bunch of fours and five. What was like the craziest day you had, and what bait was that with? I mean, the crowning achievement is my personal best. And I know people are probably sick of seeing me post a picture of it, but it's also the prettiest fish I'd ever seen. So um, I know I sent you that picture recently for that article I wrote for you, but yeah. Um, that was a that was a tough one because I went six months without a swim bait bite. Um, I caught other fish on conventional gear, but I was really going hard for that big fish. I actually caught my biggest crankbait fish up on Clear Lake about a month before that. And uh, but like I said, I did not have a single swim bait bite. And then I went to my favorite, you know, County Park Lake in the Bay Area. There was a trout stock because I wasn't out of fish for like a half an hour or something stupid. So I went in my truck, took a nap, woke up, walked back down to the boat ramp, slung out the 250, and had honestly what was the most lackluster fight you could ever imagine. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that fish was full of eggs and gorged on trout. The thing ate the 250. My rod just, it was like, you know, your rod loads up just a little bit when that thing's pumping. Yeah. 
like I didn't actually feel it. My rod just like it was almost like it glided one way and just kept going. <laughs> like there was no thump, no tick, nothing. It just kind of loaded up, and I was like, oh, there's one, and it rolled, and I saw white. And I was only fishing twenty ton fluoro. I'm like, oh crap, it's a striper. So like back my drag off and like nothing happened. I'm like, okay, it's probably bass. So, like crank my drag back in. I'm just like just winding it in, doesn't jump, doesn't roll, it's kind of planes out. I was actually standing on the launch ramp and the fish swung under the little boat dock. And then it popped out like right at my feet. Like his head did. I just lifted it. Like wasn't really thinking. I lift it. And it was just like the fish just kept coming out of the water, you know, mm-hmm. it, yeah. was, it was wild. So, um, as far as, as far as fun bites though, I mean, there's just been so many days of catching, like just slaughtering four and five pound fish, you know, um, beat on the HUD or, uh, I mean, as you know, in that article I wrote for you, I really, really like throwing the triple trout. I'm close friends with Scott. I've known him for a long time. I have a triple trout from like 2002. Like things older than half the kids on Universe now. Yeah. I I still throw it from time to time. Yeah. Um, Fishing it like a rattle trap, just burning the hell out of it. You know, catches grass, just give it a rip, keep going. Um, Irvine Lake used to have some real, when the water was high, which, may never happen again but um like i said that was like one of the best one of the best bass like in socal in like the early 2010s and uh whitney from career tech was working there and the after work rad trips were just stupid like you know 20 30 fish easy oh for a couple God. hours which you know socal is not necessarily like other places you're not always gonna go out there and catch numbers like i remember I remember back in the day, Joe Rainville from Real Prey talking about how, like, he was surprised to see, like, people getting excited over one fish. Like, I go out and throw a swim bait and catch, like, 40 fish, you know? <laughs> it's not not super normal in SoCal unless maybe you're on a really good bite of Clear Lake or the Delta or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Damn, dude. Yeah, I will say that 250 in your PV picture, dude, that thing does not look like a 250. That fish really, uh, really makes that thing look a lot smaller than a 250. Yeah, and like the other thing you gotta know is like I'm not little, I'm like six foot like two thirty and I'm if you look at that picture, I'm like holding the fish against my body too. Yeah. And it's yeah. just she was just not a scale out of place, no scars. Clearly hadn't been on a bed yet, its tail was perfect, like that was just an awesome fish. Yeah. How big was it? What was the weight? Twelve four. Damn, dude. That's that's such a big fish. And it was like it was super dark, like it had pretty, pretty colors yep. on it too. Yeah, it kinda looked like kinda looked like one of those big Florida fish. Yeah. You know? Yeah, dude, that's that's so awesome. Did you retire that two fifty or do you still have it or did you get rid of it or what'd you do with it? I broke it off. Oh fuck. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's life. Yeah, yeah, that's something that I'd probably fucking do too. My luck was that a rod you had built, or was that a rod you had bought, like a like a Phoenix or something? No, so that was well before I got into that whole ball game. That rod was built by a friend of mine named Adam Cargill, who is also kind of one of the guys that's was there in the early days of swim baiting with me. He's uh, 
he's a low key guy, but that dude is just an absolute hammer, fresh hand salt. Doesn't matter that guy. He's just one of those dudes that will come out on the water and outfish you. Um, he was he was gonna start a rod company at one point. I had a bunch mm-hmm. of rods he had built. Um, so super good dude, super good fisherman. But it was pretty awesome to catch that rod or catch that fish on that rod. You know. Yeah, dude, that's so awesome. Do you have a replica mount or anything of it? No, I'd like to. I'd like to get a replica of that one and then um, that weird, freaky smallmouth thing I showed you back in. Oh, April. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, no, that, yeah. that didn't ha- there wasn't smallmouth in the water, but above it there was or something like that, right? Yeah, so smallmouth are native to that river. Mm-hmm. But the upper reaches above it, when I say the upper reaches, I mean there's smallmouth in a lake seven dams up. Damn, dude. Seven? You said seven dams? Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, and, and you, you caught this. Did you, end up, did you end up figuring out if it was a smallmouth? Um, everybody I sent that to said it was 100% part smallmouth. No one could confirm it. If I was smarter, I would have taken a scale and tried to send yeah. it to somebody. Right. But I just I wasn't even thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, dude. Fucking weird. So when you packed up and left California, were you upset of the fishing and the fish you were leaving? Or were you kind of excited to see what the East Coast had? Because 2017, I mean, that's when... You know, even a couple of years before, there were a lot of good fish being caught, you know, right alongside the, the East Coast up from Mass all the way down to, you know, to the Carolinas and stuff. Did you see that and were you excited or were you bummed that you were leaving behind all these Cali fish? Um, to be honest, I was more upset about leaving the saltwater fishing. Mm, I mean, yeah. not only like the cool exotic stuff that had popped up in recent years, but like I'm sure you've seen videos on calico bass. Yeah, yeah. Like, the Southern California saltwater bass is such a unique fishery, you know, be it the bay bass, sand bass, or calico bass. It's like, I mean, like, I don't even see the videos where dudes are fishing boiler rocks for calicos, but you're throwing a jig or a swim bait into like what actual white water and catching fish out of it. You know, those fish are so, so angry. Yeah. You know, you're getting, you're getting broken off on 30, 40 pound fluoro, and it's not like you're getting broken off by a world record, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I try think to pull a super muscular bass out of a <laughs> volcanic rock that doesn't want to leave. Yeah, I think my problem is is I would do that once and I would come back to Michigan and I would just be pissed that I that we don't have those here. I'd be bummed. Like I would be, you know, fucking saving up for the next trip to go out there because I've got a pretty addictive personality and if I, you know, if I caught, you know, 4 or 5 pound calico, I'd be like, "Holy shit." I need to go back out there like right now. Like I need to be there. I need to be doing this. Like fuck these river smallmouth and these largemouth and these lakes. Like that's what I need to be doing with my life. Yeah, and that's I mean, I've heard guys go, "Oh yeah, calicos are like smallmouth." No, they're not. They're they're a different animal. You know, I mean, you can make the argument maybe a river smallmouth is comparable, but on the same token, like. No smallmouth is going to break off twenty pound fluoro realistically. Right, a two yeah. pound calico can bury itself in the rocks and do that no problem. And not to mention, like they're in an ecosystem where like half the stuff can eat them too. Like when you're in that kind of environment, it's just it just makes the fish so much harder. Yeah, dude, that's so fucking sick. I mean, just seeing seeing these California guys post up the videos and pictures of these fish. 
and just watching them, you know, fishing these big, huge jetties or whatever the, the term is. And it's, you know, there are some big ass waves and they're still casting and, and they go and sweet, they go set the hook and the rod just doesn't move at all. And then they pull up, you know, whatever a decent sized calico is. It's like, dude, that is fucking awesome. Like that's the shit I need to be doing right now. Yeah. If I can recommend anybody considering going to California, like go do that. Like don't go. Unless you're like up North and you can go fish like the Delta or Clear Lake, go saltwater bass fishing. Like, especially in San Diego, you can go mm-hmm. fish Spotted Bay Bass in Mission Bay or San Diego Bay, and those things are like they're even meaner than calico bass. They just don't get nearly as big, and it's just it's just bass fishing. It's throw a swim jig, throw you know just a swim bait like a paddle tail on a jig head, a spinner bait, whatever. And they're yeah. like they're just so angry. Yeah, that shit looks so fun. But so you you were upset to leave the salt. Did you have anybody or any any friends or any acquaintances on the East Coast that was that it was kind of reassuring that you were moving there and you weren't going to be you know SOL with with no fish to catch or no good fish or anything like that? So uh, I feel terrible saying this because I still haven't gotten to fish them after almost six years now. But a dude named Travis Evans, he lives out in the very 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 western corner of the state. Um, so he was fishing a lot of the southern trout eater stuff. Um, honestly kind of the same era that matt peters was doing it mm, yeah um you might have seen he's got a video about throwing the mother because i think he was one of the first guys in the us to like really do well with that bait mm-hmm. um he's not only he's fishing a whole lot these days i gotta get out there and fish them eventually but um you know there i <laughs> and i honestly still haven't gotten out to those lakes um part of the reason though i just everyone's like oh it's like fishing california lake it's like well i've fished a california lake fished many i'm not like <laughs> i don't need to go watch a big fish follow a bait and not eat it you know right, exactly i'd rather i'd rather go experience other cool stuff that i haven't gotten to do or haven't done yeah, much which, of which makes a lot of sense really <laughs> yeah especially because those lakes are just like not that great anymore you know there's a lot of pressure and like you can fish live trout in some of those lakes too and it's just like it's not the same you know those fish are very very different yeah yeah exactly so you get out there was it, uh, I guess, was it like a culture shock to see how these lakes set up differently? Or I guess like to see that there was rivers to fish and stuff, whereas that might not really be the case for for out in California? I think the biggest thing is just the amount of water. Um, so like a famous lake in California, Diamond Valley. Diamond Valley is like one of the bigger SoCal lakes. It's only 4,500 acres. And it's like one of the biggest you know, like 4,500 acres each. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, the lake I'm on, Lake Wiley is 13,000 acres. And people are like, oh, yeah, that's a small lake. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a, a, an hour and change from Murray and it's, you know, 50,000. Then you got the Tanty Cooper system and that's 150,000. Lake Norman's 30 minutes away. It's 30,000 acres. So that's, that was just the biggest thing for me. It's just, there's just so much water. Like you said, it's not just like, it's also rivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. The river thing. I mean, even, even going from where I lived down South, uh, south far, further South down in Michigan and, and more to the middle of the state, dude, the river stuff is super cool, but it's also like going from a lake to a river. That's, 
you know, it takes quite a bit to get used to it and to realize like, oh shit, I'm fishing with a place with current. These fish have to set up like very strategically, not only to, to preserve like their, their body masses and calories and stuff, but to also, you know, have, have good chances at meals and stuff. It's like, it's fucking crazy how different it is from a lake. And obviously people are listening and probably like, oh, well, no shit. It's different from the lake, but it's like, you have to Very learn different. what these fish want and stuff. You can't just fish until you catch one and be like, oh, okay. Like you have to understand why that fish ate and where your other spots are going to be able to replicate it and stuff like that. Yeah. And so biggest thing for me too, is it's not only, I mean, if, I mean, I know you follow me on Instagram. We've talked, but like my big thing has been fishing the Catawba river where I live, which is, you know, the river system that all the lakes I'm on are part of. And, you know, I'm fishing essentially a tailwater fishery. It's, you know, it's a power generation dam, hydroelectric. So it's not like the flows are consistent. You know, yeah. it, you know, you'll go out there one day and it's, it's zero or zero. One day you go out there and you hammer the hell out of those fish and you go back the next day and you don't get a bite. You know, maybe one day the maybe one day they run the water super low and the fish like it. And the next day it's high or vice versa. I mean, case in point. So you asked me like my, you know, both my best days. One of my best days swim baiting was in California, so I mentioned it. My best day swim baiting so far out here was I had 17 pounds of spots in an hour. Damn. Um, <laughs> which, if you're an, if you're from the Charlotte area or know the Charlotte area, like Lake Wiley and Lake Norman, you're not going to catch that quality that that size quality of spots. Um, and all those fish were on the six inch paperweight and it was like, it was, it was every cast there for a while. It was all two to, you know, nothing under two pounds. And the biggest fish, my personal best spot was four, seven. So, Damn, uh, dude. yeah. And it was, it was funny too. Cause it was just, I was throwing the freaking uh, custom painted six inch paperweight and lemonade on straight 65 pound breaks i just had a conversation with uh alex green who i think you had on recently just just uh so yeah they everybody will hear this episode right after alex's they'll hear this episode on a thursday and then the next monday will be your episode so yeah yeah and he was talking about his granted he's fishing big striper on a river but he only fishes 80 pound braid Mm -hmm. and it's not just a strength thing but it's also and i'm sure you picked up on this when you're fishing that current, it's so much easier to articulate bait with braid, you know, especially like, cause my river can get cranking pretty fast sometimes, you know, 8,000 cubic feet per second. Not big river. That's a lot of water flowing, you know, and it's like having that direct contact to your bait can make such a significant difference. Yeah. And dude, I mean, I don't know. It's, 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 fishing like you had touched on your dam or your rivers being like electrical dams and stuff where they open and close them and stuff all the time where that's kind of the same here if if it rains and stuff and the water gets high they open up the spillway and shit and dude that like that raises hell on a fish that'll fucking push them so far back down the stream or just do all sorts of things shut them off like if the water's moving so much it's not even it's not even really worth them coming up to eat anything and it's kind of a pain in the ass, dude, because it's hard to to target fish over, you know, a week or a week and a half if you have so much change, like variables in the weather, like rain and stuff. Like, it it'll fuck those fish up. 
Yeah, and like, you know, part of the issue where I'm at is Catawba River starts way up in the mountains. I don't know how many river miles it is, but it's it's a lot of river miles and it's a lot of drainage. You know, it's the main drainage for this area, it's the Catawba Basin. Mm. So it gets all of the water, you know. There was a uh, freak summer afternoon storm a few years ago when high water in the river is like 10,000 CFS. And it got up to like 60 or 70,000. I mean, you know, this is the main lake had current. Docks got ripped out. Like, if those fish didn't leave, <laughs> you know, still yeah. there. So, wow. Well, do you remember um, a couple of years ago? I don't know. It probably made national news. I don't know. But we had a shit ton of water too. And we ended up having two dams actually fail. And so now there's probably a 20 mile stretch where the old river was there. And all of these uh, riverfront, lakefront houses are now just in a mud pit because there's nothing there anymore because it all just drained. Like, dude that that's crazy as hell like that just goes to show the power that this water has when there's when it's just flowing so hard and stuff that it's just blowing these dams out and everything and you know it and then you just look at these little small mouth or spots or large mouth and you know they're they're anchored to the bottom in 12 foot of water and like you said it's just fucking ripping by and you catch them and you're like wow this fish is not fat at all and it's like oh it's because it is purely muscle. It's if you took your your quad off your leg, put a tail on it, and made it into a fish. That is what these river fish are like. Oh, 100%. Those river fish are totally different animals. Um, especially the river spots. There's such a difference between a river spot and a lake spot. I mean, so my biggest my biggest fish out of the river so far was 6'8 largemouth. Not a swim bait, whatever. But, like... It ate on the long cast and just kind of gave up and planed out in the current. And then like five minutes later, I caught like a spot that was over four. And it was like, oh my God, this thing's going to break my rod. You know? Yeah, yeah. Damn, dude, that's fucking crazy. Um, you posted a couple weeks ago that, that largemouth you pulled out of that stump, like that little... Um, oh, yeah. Almost like a little back eddy. And that's something that I have... I have figured out where, dude, if you cast a swim bait, if you cast anything into a little back eddy, especially if there's a big lay down or, you know, something that you can float underneath the, the lay down or root system or whatever, dude, nine and a half out of 10 times, you're going to catch a fish out of there. And that is the most fun thing ever. You would probably lose your mind here. So, okay. To go back to one of your earlier questions about like stock. Yeah. California does not have a lot of trees, obviously, and has almost no docks. I'm convinced there's more docks on Lake Wiley than there are in the state of California as far as freshwater lakes goes. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, target-rich environment. I mean, and it's the same thing on the river. I can send you a video sometime, but it's just the bank is just straight creepy and rock. And, um, you know, again, I do a lot of conventional fishing too. So like skipping a buzz bait under that stuff is just, it's a blast. Mm -hmm. You know, I can, I, I make my own buzz bait. It's nothing special. It's just pure utility, but I can skip that thing way back anywhere. And, you know, those fish love when the water gets high and moving real fast, they love getting out of that current and getting up, up in the dirt. You know, I'm a big yeah. fan of rising water. 
Yeah, I think I don't know, Rising Water and and it's it's mostly because especially this year like I've been fishing that that flag 255 and stuff in that little throwback woody where if the water's ripping so fast and I don't have a chance to crank that bait down if I don't cast far enough upstream and or let the banks let the bait sink fast enough I that's kind of, that was kind of the drawback earlier this year I haven't fished the river in a while cuz I've been on the paddleboard so much but that was kind of the drawback whereas Last year, I was fishing uh, the 6-inch the paperweight with, with heavy hooks on it, so it would literally just sink down 4 or 5 feet in a matter of you know 3 4 seconds. You give it two, two real cranks out of there, and the fish are fucking eating it because they're so excited to see that thing. And, and that, just, it, that has just had to change because the river has gotten so much higher. And I say higher, but last year it was like stupid low, and this year I'm pretty sure it's just slightly above average. But it's like... Just like we said earlier, all the variables that go into what these river fish do, it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, if I was a smarter man, I would have a, a journal to log all this stuff too. You know, you can do it mentally to a point, but it yeah, would be it, nice. It'd be smart if I actually sat down and said, okay, it was at this, you know, I could go back and look at the, um, what is it, the, forget the acronym whatever government organization has all mm. the flow meters across the country. Um, you can go back and look at that. Right. Yeah. U- USGS. So if it's a major dam, it's going to have a USGS gauge on it and you can go back mm-hmm. and look at flow rates and honestly, and they have it for some lakes as well, but you know, doing that record, cause it also the one, the second I fish has flow and temperature. So I really could go back and do both, but kind of a glutton for punishment and just trying to mentally log it and go and repeat right yeah exactly it it helps to uh to be clear and concise with all those notes and stuff but i you know i'll i'd start it or i will or do start it for about a week and then after that i just kind of it takes a back seat because i start doing something else that requires all my attention so it's like oh well, you know, a week ago in june it was really good fishing but i don't know how it <laughs> set up before or after that yeah, and it's like half the time. Yeah, you know, if I go out there and have a you know, have a bad day at work, and then fishing sucks, I'm pissed off. I'm not gonna want to sit down. But like, fishing sucked. I hate my life. Fuck everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh man. <clears throat> um. So, are you primarily fishing the rivers down there, or do you fish a couple of lakes too around you? I fish a few of the lakes, but I mean, our lakes really aren't that great as far as size goes. Um, and to be totally honest, I would rather fish those lakes with like a jig or a buzz bait than a swim bait for the most part mm-hmm. um and if you want to know why just go back and watch the mlf event when they were on norman for red crest this year yeah not very exciting i don't know if you no, watched no. it but it was like you know they, it was kind of cool they actually stuck with edwin evers a lot and he was he was hammering on a bullshad glide but it's like you know you're going to be pretty ex- like if you want to be honest it's you're going to be pretty excited over like a two and a half or a three pound spot on most of those lakes right my, my best my best lake fish in north carolina is like a four pound largemouth um, dude but like i said i got a i got a fish that was six eight on the river i got a fish that was over six on a frog and on santee cooper which Side note, if there's a frog bite, I really don't give a fuck about anything else. It's all I want to go do. But I don't have a lot of grass around here, so it's not much of an option, except for a couple sloppy ponds. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was going to say um, Redcrest is really where that uh, that coal shad kind of started. And yeah. That was the hottest bait around because they were catching a couple threes with it. And I don't remember if that's what they ended up winning with, but that's like what day two or day three's big bag came from was on the coal shad. Yeah, and it's like, I don't know, it's just it's not super exciting to me to go to a lake and skip a mag draft or something like that or throw a glide on a dock and catch two and three pound fish all day long. I mean, especially this time of the year, dude, it's, it's a big lake next to a major city. Like the amount of people in the lake is just out of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, they can keep that. Yeah, dude. Fuck that. Like I, I can't imagine what Lake St. Clair today while we record this, it was the last day on St. Clair uh, for the elite series. And I can't imagine what the boat traffic was like out there. To today, today or even yesterday, because it was kind of a nice day out. I'm sure that there were fucking party barges out there, like nobody's business, just sitting right on top of these schools of smallmouth in like 12 foot of water, and they had no oh, idea. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure all your uh, northern bait fish were all congregated under them too. Yeah, yeah. Probably I, gone out there and won the tournament, freaking live scoping fish off drunk pontoon boats. Yeah, yeah, dude. Exactly. Oh man. Um, crap. I was like, oh, so have you seen many guys? Um, because it has gotten super popular in the East Coast, as as everybody knows. Ha- have you seen many guys fishing swim baits out there, whether it's on the lakes or on the rivers or anything? Um. So where I'm fishing, I don't see a whole ton of other guys. And most guys I do see are conventional. Okay. But you're definitely seeing more and more guys. Um throwing swim baits on the lakes. And I think that's just a symptom of seeing them on tournament TV, you know, televised tournaments and stuff like that. Um, one of the dudes I do rod repairs for is an absolute hammer. And, uh, you know, one day he's like, Hey, you're a swim bait guy, right? I'm like, I mean, kind of start picking my brain on some stuff. And like, also dudes just got boxed and boxed of the glide baits now, you know, like less than a year later. So it's, it's definitely made its way into the mainstream tournament scene. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we all see that, you know, watch, you know, for the most part, every single, what, what is there? Six or seven Southern, um, elite events. And, you know, there was guys fishing, uh, bull shads, clutch baits, KGBs, you know, all sorts of shit. And then, you know, going up North uh, a couple of years ago, there was that, uh, that guy who who won on um, St. Lawrence is that the one in New York? I think whatever whatever the uh, river. Champlain. Oh yeah, yeah sorry, yeah. St. Lawrence. Yeah, I'm thinking of Lake Champlain, but yeah, no, the St. Lawrence River. Yeah, yeah, he won on the TK a couple of years ago, and I'm sure that there were probably guys who had TKs and stuff tied on for St. Clair, and they're gonna have baits tied on for the next two events in uh, in New York and. Um, I can't remember what the next event is, but yeah, dude, it's gotten like to the point and, and everybody knows this where, you know, everybody has a swim bait. Everybody can name five swim baits because there's yep. all 12 big companies are coming out with their own swim baits and stuff. And it's almost to a point where is it going to make the bite any different? Like, are these guys going to buy these baits and fish them for a day and say, Oh, this bait sucks. Or are they going to stick with it? And is it, is it going to become like a, a, 
a multiple fish staple like a, like a swim jig is to catch your quick limit of five and then go through and, and brush through with like a jig or something like that. So I think that's where it's going to be super interesting in the next like two or three years where it's either going to become a staple or the hype is going to die down and it's just going to be to catch the one, the one big on, on day four to win the tournament. I think it's already there, man. I think it's already there as a staple. Um, whether they talk about it or not, let's face it, there's not a lot of main com- major companies that are putting out their own big baits. You know, yeah. Spro is really the first commercial company to put out a big swim bait with the BBZ back 20 plus years now, almost. Mm-hmm. I remember when the BBZ came out exactly, but, you know, now they've got the chat, now they've got the KGB shad, chad shad, whatever it is. Um, you look at, you know, if you're signed up for Wired to Fish, you'll see swim baits almost every report for mid-season stuff. You know, basically they leave between, you know, the time between they leave Florida and when and the northern swim, everybody's throwing swim baits somewhere, you yeah. know. And whether it's to actually catch a fish or it's, hey, I'm going to use this big bait to draw a fish out and go back and fish them, they're all doing it. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me they're not. I mean, especially with how popular, like, the mag, mag draft and the bullshit have gotten. Yeah. Yeah, that was um, something that guys probably don't know. So my sophomore, junior year in high school, so 2016, 2017, 2018, up to senior, so 2019, like those years, dude, it was impossible to find mag drafts because all the college kids were buying them for like Kentucky Lake, for for all these all these big tournaments they were doing. And these guys would bring in, you know, it wasn't, it was not weird to see a, a college team bring in, you know, 14 pounds for for two fish like two you know five five and a half sixes uh one big eight pounder throughout throughout the tournament and it was because they were all fishing mag drafts you could not buy a mag draft to save your life at that point in time it was absolutely fucking crazy yeah and like i mean the thing is to me what's the difference between a mag draft and a 10 xd or a big worm or a paddle tail you know a bastrix um I mean, it's kind of a unique situation, but you can kind of go back to the godfather of tournament swimbait fishing in Steve Kennedy uh-huh. winning. Have you ever watched his Clear Lake performance from like 2006, I think? 2006 I or 2008? I haven't watched it, but I, I, I know about it. Okay, you need to you need to watch that. It's on, there's like an hour long video on YouTube. It's, oh, hell yeah. It's actual insanity. Um, the only thing that competes with it in my mind as far as... Uh, film bass videos for tournaments is Paul Elias breaking the initial record on a uh, Falcon. I forget <laughs> Falcon or Fork, but Paul Elias caught a, a number of giants on one of the Texas lakes around that same time frame. But the yeah. Steve Kennedy tournament was just stupid. I mean, at one point, you, you know, he's got a camera in his boat and catches a 13, but it's hooked outside the mouth. And he's like, well, gotta let that one go. And just like throws it back nonchalantly. <laughs> Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah, dude, yeah, that, that's... that's crazy as hell. Who was, and, and people who are listening probably will know, um, the Japanese guy who won in like 2008 on the Babe. Do you remember what that guy's name was? Oh, God. I, I want to start with an O, like Okasha. Ah, fuck, I cannot. I, bet I can Google it super quick. Hold on. So it wasn't, it's not the Babe, it's... um. Or was it the BPS versions of the Babe? It's the BPS, yeah. Um, 2008. Yeah. Uh, clear bait. 
meet. But um, that was that was somewhere in the south, though. I forget where that was. Two thousand seven, uh, Clear Lake. No. Well, Clear you're, that was um, Clear Lake was the Steve Kennedy one. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, dude. BPS. Anyway, I'll I'll uh, I'll ask or I'll kind of talk while while we try to figure this out. But yeah, dude, it it's like even back then they were getting televised and talked about, but I don't know what has changed. I don't know if it's because, you know, you got all these YouTubers and, and these guys on Instagram that are just so readily available that you can go watch, you know, 10 guys post cast catches on, on a nine inch glide bait where it's like, Oh, that's not that big. Like I could catch fish on it. Whereas back then you're watching these pros do it. And back then, I feel like back then being a pro carried more than it does now because that was the only way you were seeing these guys catch all these fish. You couldn't hop on YouTube or Instagram yeah. and, and watch these guys. You know, you couldn't watch a guy like Butch Brown drop 45 pounds with five fish because he wasn't a tournament guy. So it wasn't being televised like that. Yeah. Fun fact. Um, the cast to catch video of Butch Brown's 19. One of my friends actually uploaded it to YouTube way back oh, in the day. No shit. He saw <laughs> He saw the video somewhere else. I don't know where. He saw the video, reached out to Butch and said, Hey, dude, can I upload? Can I like save this video? He somehow saved it. I was like, Can I upload this to YouTube? And he was like, Yeah, go for it. That's funny as that hell. A long time ago. <laughs> that guy actually was pretty rad. He, uh, so I'm sure many listeners are familiar with Bill Cemental, BBZ. Yeah. So Bill Cemental was a, fu- is, was or is a LA County firefighter, and that dude, my buddy's dad, was also a firefighter with LA County. So we actually have to go fish with Bill Samel back in the in the golden age. Um, I think he caught like a thirteen or a fourteen pound fish when he was like you know twelve years old or something like that. Dang, dude, that's <clears throat> I mean that's so crazy, so awesome though. <laughs> yeah, I oh. I can't figure out who it was. I know it's, yeah. I, it's I want, was it in like Louisiana or something? Because I want to say there were it was on a major river because there was in my in my head my memory is like he's throwing that swim bait and there's like tugs and barges cruising by him too. Like I want to say it was like on the Mississippi somewhere or the Red River. I forget. Yeah, I just texted Brian Speller. He knows because he had talked about it before with me. Taka Takahiro Takahiro. I don't think was it Takahiro Mori. Uh, on, I Wheeler, seriously on Wheeler Lake in 2015. I don't know if that's the same one I'm talking about here. Hold no, on. That's, no, I think that, no, because they stopped making that bait a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll have to I'll have to look it up, and if I figure it out, I'll put it in the put it in the show notes, <laughs> so nobody can uh, nobody has to endure the pain of not knowing who the hell we're trying to talk about. <laughs> oh man, but no, maybe uh, it was. That actually might be it. Was it that late? I thought I thought it was like early mid two thousands. Yeah, I thought it was more like two, I thought it was like prior to twenty ten, but it really could have been at Weedle Lake, Alabama. Huh? Because they made that bait for a while, and, and it, you know, then they stopped making it, and then he won on that bait, and then Bass Pro brought it back. But it's like anything that ever has gone through that cycle; it's not the same. Yeah. Well, I think it was. Wow, for some reason I thought it was a lot older. It's crazy what those videos look like and what the boats look like from 2015 to what they I do totally now. Totally different. 
I'm looking at his head unit right now on his on his graph, and it's like maybe had side imaging at the time. <laughs> yeah, no, it beats me. Oh man, that's funny. But yeah, like what like I was saying, it almost seems like you know carrying that uh, that that word pro that title pro. You know, like I said, doesn't seem like it has as much weight as it did, you know, 12, 15 years ago, even even longer than that. You know, mid 2000s, you're you're watching guys. Um, uh, fuck, I can't even think of his name. I mean, he comes back to the boat ramp and, and orders a pizza because he already has his limit. Oh, like, Jimmy Orton. Yeah. T- yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that was that was like where you saw guys like that. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this is the baddest motherfucker ever. And then. You know, like I said, YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and stuff kind of comes around and in that video style of, of content rolls out and you're seeing guys, you know, you, you watch a guy catch a catch a 12 or 13 from shore in California and, and then he does it three more times in a matter of a month or, or just whatever. And it's like you, you didn't have an idea that that people like that existed unless you knew them on a personal level, personal right. level or saw them on like those really small forms that was like super niche and nobody really talked about unless you knew what they were. Exactly. I mean, and there's the, and those guys are still around, you know? Oh yeah. There's still so many sleeper dudes that just either don't want to do social media or don't care. You know, they don't care to, they don't know how Mm -hmm. to or whatever, but there's still a lot of those guys out there. I mean, everyone says that there's California's being passed up for giant fish, but that's not true. There's still dudes catching giant fish that yeah, they're not going to post them, you know? Yeah, and I guess what I mean, because what I said probably could be taken out of context as far as, like, those guys, I wouldn't say are better than tournament guys, but you're watching these guys catch a lot of big fish, and where, who knows, they catch, you know, five big fish on the other side of the country, that doesn't, not really what I'm talking about, but, like, you're just seeing fishing content that's cooler, if not better, than than what you're watching on, on Saturday and Sunday uh, FX one when the elite series was on, oh, like it's just, it's yeah. crazy. Whole, wholeheartedly. I mean, let's face it. Not every tournament's exciting to watch. And no, dude, what was that one couple oh, weeks ago on like the red river or some shit down? Oh, uh, well uh, that's, Louisiana? yeah. The red river is like, that's I'm, I'm, I'm torn in half on the red, on that the red river, Lake Mead out West. I'm kind of torn on that stuff. Cause it's like, those late, those tournaments are so boring to watch because they catch almost yeah. nothing. But at the same time, like that's the tournament that tells you like who is the best. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Let's face it, Okeechobee in January, you know, Fork in like March, April, Clear Lake when the hitch are running in the in the winter time. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you expect or like any time any the northern swim tournaments. Because let's face it, the northern swim tournaments are just they're pure, pure stupidity. You catch 20 pounds of smallmouth and you're like a hundred places out of a check. But when they go to those places where you're lucky to catch a limit, like that's the, might not be that fun to watch, but it's really shows you who the best is. Yeah. Whereas you know? today, I mean, you're watch you watch the top 10 guys probably all bring in 20, 22 pounds on the low end and, and 25, 26 pounds probably won the day. Like, that's super fun to watch, super cool, but it's also like, oh, he just caught another four pounder. And, and like, exactly. At what, point, at what point in time is it where like 
shit, dude. Like, I bet you, I bet you, you know, Steve on his party barge could drop, drop down a Ned rig and probably catch a four and a half. Like, and it, it, it's kind of like, well, at what point in time is it skill based on there's just so many fucking big fish in an area, or maybe not even big fish, just so many good fish in a lake or whatnot. Like, where yeah. does skill have to meet the opportunity of running across a big fish? Like in that in that Red River where a three and a half pounder, four pounder was like a big fish alert style. Yeah. That's yeah, that's that's like the big fish of the tournament. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he he cashes he, yeah. Mercury cashes him a twenty thousand dollar check because he caught the big fish at three and a half pounds. Yeah, I'm I'm on the same page as you, man. And I will say even even these tournament guys, um, you know, Zaldane being the one that comes to mind after that big, uh, that big fork tournament, what, like in 2000, where he's, he's fishing the, uh, hog farm or, uh, uh, tater yeah. hog like, like that yep. is a super well put together video, whether it's a tournament guy or, or a YouTube, you know, personality that that's a video that everybody's going to watch and everybody's going to enjoy. But the fact that it was a tournament guy is like, oh shit, that's super cool. But you know, 20 years ago, nobody would have seen that if he didn't have a camera boat with him or whatever. That had been something that he lived out by himself. Yeah. And I do think it's cool that pros are kind of taking it upon themselves to get that little extra oomph, you know, particularly Zaldane and Brandon Palinick. I know there's others, but it is cool. It is cool to see that. Like they want to invest in their brand at that point. Yeah. There's there. I think it's cool because they're not, you know, I'm going to say relying on sponsorships at that point, but I have no idea what I'm talking about, but like, they're not, they're not expecting them to, to give them enough money and kind of float them through the year. If when tournament season's done, like they're out there and like you said, they're making a brand for themselves. You know, the Zal dangerous has a brand behind it. You can go buy shirts and stuff. BP drops a shirt. I think every tournament or every, every couple months. And, and it's cool to see that because like we said, that was just something that wasn't around 15, 20 years ago for these guys to be um, like self-promoting themselves, I guess, to their, to their crowd, to their following like we have now. Exactly. And, and that goes full circle with, with what I say all the time, as far as like the swim baits and stuff too. I mean, you, you have these builders where, you know, if they don't post baits, there's still guys going on their website and buying shirts and, and buying, you know, whatever stickers and, and all this other stuff where you don't have to drop a bait every single week to, to make money. Like you could do it part time and, and make a good chunk of change with just dropping cool shirts and stickers and then doing, you know, a big 20, 30, 40 bait drop every month. Like there's, there's more to it than just fishing now. And I'm sure, you know, you, even, even in the 2012, like that, that wasn't necessarily a thing. Like maybe black dog had his, had some shirts on his website, but it wasn't like he had, he had to make baits to make money. Like there was, there was nothing. Yeah. Besides that. No, not at all. I mean, there is, I think Scott of triple trout did a few runs of shirts, but like back yeah. in the day, the only like were, and I'm saying this as like the whitest person ever. We're so blessed with how many companies make sun shirts for their brand now, you know? Yeah. yeah. If I'm fishing, I'm in a sun shirt. You know, I could probably count the number of times I've gone fishing without wearing a sun shirt on my hand. I mean, I could literally think of one time, and it was like I stopped by a pond and like made a few casts. But no, I already like back in the day, it was like you had bassaholics Mm -hmm. as far as like bass stuff, bass 
themed clothing that was like it you know yeah exactly yeah it um you know it's it's just come a long way and and we kind of like we said we kind of have this niche group now quote-unquote niche what's it gonna be like when we have you know when Swimbait Universe has a hundred thousand followers and or hundred thousand people in the group, and and Swimbait Underground has, you know, a quarter to a half a million followers on Instagram. Like, what is that going to look like? What, you know, what uh, what extras? Because at that point in time, dude, it is there's going to be way more shit than just baits out there. There is going to be all sorts of stuff that get brought in from all these other subcultures that kind of get fused in with the Swimbait world, and you know, people are. People are going to buy stuff that aren't baits. You know, they already do. So, like, what is the next thing that's going to get brought in that, that people really like because it just hasn't been around in this community? Oh, man. You want to hear something funny that's kind of is on the same train of thought? Klamath Boats actually made a swim bait boat at one point. Are you serious? Yeah, I don't think they made it for very long, but it was basically a 16-foot aluminum bass boat with a tiller. But I want to say it had a lakewood style box you know those lakewood boxes yeah 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 like i want to say actually had a lakewood box built into the casting deck huh yeah i mean i mean just like just like stuff like that like you know there's there's gonna be shit out there marketed directly to the swim bait world and you know there's i mean guys are probably gonna see it as you know quick cash grab because that's the cool thing on the market right now but maybe not, dude. Like maybe it's just gonna continue to grow and it's just gonna be kind of um that cool thing that just continues to bring new ideas and stuff to it. Who who knows? Like and that, that's like I talk to guys and I'm like, okay, you know, ten years ago, if I would have described forward facing sonar to you, you would have said that I was the craziest motherfucker ever. And then Yeah, I would have I would have put my tinfoil hat on. Yeah, yeah, dude. And exactly. And like, you know, fifteen years ago, if you would if you would have gone back and told guys on Swimbait Nation that there were going to be, you know, every bait builder was going to have stickers and hats and, and shirts and stuff that he sells with all his baits and, and all this other stuff. They'd be like, yeah, whatever, dude. Like, and the only thing anybody's ever cared about fishing swim baits is catching a double digit trout eater out of one of these California lakes, like that sort of thing. And it's just like, no, dude, like it, it, the shit changes a lot and it changes quick too. Yeah. I mean, like one of the weird things to me that's changed so rapidly is like the market demand. And granted, the economy is kind of down right now, but like, think about like, in terms of procuring an, uh, a sought after bait now, it's like, yeah. it's an ordeal. It's an ordeal. Mm-hmm. You know, even either like- you get really lucky and you get on a drop, maybe you win one in a raffle, somebody cuts you a deal or something. Yeah, you nice. know, like one of your friends has it and he's like, hey, I'll sell it to you for retail, but like, that's kind of, that's a new thing. Like, in terms of like what I have seen, that's only like last three or four years, you know, before that, it was like, you want to bait, you just reach out to the maker and yeah, maybe you wait a bit, but you're going to get the bait at the retail, but big deal. Not anymore. Yeah. Dude. And I mean, before COVID there were, there were Chad chats on KGB site all the time. They were always loaded up yeah. there. You know, you could buy them for $80 and now look, you can't fucking touch one for less than 150 after retail, like secondhand. Like, Dude, that shit is crazy. Like that was also when elude stuff was going for hellacious amounts of money, and now you know there's baits on his site all the time. Or same with uh, 
same with Caesar. When did Caesar start pumping out baits? Was that like 2017, 2018, I think? Yeah, around there. That was when he, he uh, left his full-time job to just do baits. Yeah, and which he is just, awesome. Yeah, and he flooded the market with all of his baits to stop the flipping and stuff. Like, dude, that is crazy as hell to think about. And that's also stuff that people who got into it during or after COVID have no idea. Like, they just think that this is the norm that that you can go on, you can go on uh, Caesar's site, or you can buy a a Wade Hogs second hand for for ninety dollars, for ten dollars, twenty dollars less than retail. And it's like, no, it was not always like that at all. Not even close. Yeah. Well, and I'll say this, I've been very fortunate to know so many of those dudes and have them, even though I'm a total kook, hook me up with stuff when I needed it, you know. But yeah. if you want that rare bait, it's tough. I mean, like, and you kind of saw hints of it throughout the years. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, like Mickey with the 316 stuff was like super culty there for a minute. Um, one of the one of the most mythological culty baits for a long time was Scott's Nazuma Rat. Um, mm, yeah, because he put a bunch, he put a handful out like a long time ago. I'm talking like you know 2006, 2008, and then he didn't make them with any consistency for like eight or nine years. And the only reason I got my first one was one of my friends was working for him, mm. um, so I got to go meet Scott, and he's become a close friend of mine. But like there was a long time where you couldn't find that bait. If you did, it was going to sell for 300 bucks, which again, this is 15 years ago. Like that was unheard of. Yeah, dude. I mean, and now you can go on tackle warehouse and buy them like that. That shit's so yeah. crazy to think about. Like, and, yeah, you, know, or, you know, he puts on his site, you know, twice a month or something. Yeah. And, uh, that's like the two fifty stuff too. Like, like, Butch talks about having to buy them off of eBay and it was hard to even find them on eBay. And then, you know, word got out and then tackle shop started getting them. And dude, like that's gotta be like watching your empire fall. When, when you have a crazy bait, you know, you buy, you know, I mean, dude, four years ago, five years ago when the flag first came out. And if you had a flag, that's probably what it was like. And then seeing it now where everybody has a flag and there's starting to be uh mass mass production baits that are similar to it. It's probably like, Oh my gosh, I cannot believe that this shit's happening right now. Like, I'm so fucked. I have to find the next hot bait that nobody else has. Yeah, and I mean, that's and that's kind of swim bait fishing. And I know I feel like somebody else mentioned that on one of your recent episodes. It's like, you kind of, you know, there's guys out there willing to spend that, you know, there's collectors willing to spend that money, but there's also the guy that's willing to spend the money because no one else has it, and they know yeah. it'll perform. Yeah, and <clears throat> I will say, um, and I've talked about it before, that's like, dude... I don't think people realize five, six years ago the impact that Jason Carroll Swimbait Reviews would have had back then because, dude, that he has, we'll just say, low-end 40 videos of baits swimming. Dude, I mean, there was baits that I was going to buy that I watched a video on his page, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's not the style of swim I want. Like, if I would have had that when I'd have first gotten into it, I'd have had so much more money. I'd have had so much nicer <laughs> gear because I wouldn't have been buying every single bait that I thought looked yep. good. Like crazy. I mean, that's just part of the trial and error side of it too, you know? Yeah. I mean, let's yeah. face it. There's, there's baits out there that look stupid that get bit and there's baits that look great and don't get bit. Yeah. And I think that, uh, that was kind of that thing that 
that needed to happen to move to like kind of move the culture forward a little bit is is like guys seeing what these baits swim like and and I dude, I think that probably helped cut down on on baits there for a while that were getting bought and sold right away because people didn't like them like now that they're now there's a way to go go onto a social media account and see you know what this bait looks like being burned what it looks like being ripped uh real chops you know slow steady medium retrieve like that wasn't a thing that was around and now that it's around it's like oh wow this is so convenient so nice this is i'm i'm so glad he did this whereas people who had been doing it for you know 12 15 years like oh my gosh if this would have been around like at the beginning i would have saved so much money type thing oh for sure or i would have seen baits that I I think I can catch fish on before they got mainstream or super hard to get or whatever. There's so many of those too, man. I mean, I, I feel like there's almost a limitless limitless list of those baits. You know, especially when you go go back pretty far. I mean, like one of the first really hard to find baits I can remember was the STI pupfish, which just a big injected walking bait looks like mm-hmm. a stammy on steroids <laughs> but if you watch big bait posse that's what they're throwing you know and like that was kind of the same kind of the same thing as what i was talking with the Mizuma. it was kind of the same era um mm-hmm. you just couldn't find that bait if you did it was freaking two three hundred bucks yeah right yeah i mean <clears throat> i mean dude that's just so crazy to see it change like that like it's cool, but it's like, whoa, like I can't believe that guys were paying XYZ for this bait that you can literally go onto Facebook and buy in a matter of ten minutes of for of looking. Like so crazy to think about. And and, and baits yeah. just kinda going off that baits just phase out, dude. Like there's baits that'll that'll be hot for a season or two and then, you know, everybody's selling them for whatever reason. Not that they don't catch fish anymore, but it's like you know, it's not that cool bait to have anymore type thing. Like, oh, I, I had it when it was super hard to get. And it was kind of that, that like social status. But, you know, he's caught up with demand, so I don't really want it anymore type thing. And then they're losing right. they're losing $600, $700 on it because they bought it on a waffle game in, in 2018. And they sold it for $100. And they barely sold it for $100. Like, that shit's so crazy. Yeah, I mean, you posted that hilarious beat to their day of like... The illude rat that the guy paid whatever for is now worth eighty bucks. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah dude, I mean that's fucking crazy as hell. Yeah, and I mean it's I, I think that's also a symptom of the economy. So my my real world job is I'm in the shipping industry and like I kind of saw this coming last year, unfortunately, with shipping volumes, but yeah. Writing was kinda on the wall of that one that this stuff was gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows it's here, but dude, guys are still spending money like it's fucking too cool for school to hold on to money. Like, it's kind of crazy these these lots getting posted up with these with these five or six baits that are going for you know a combined twenty seven thirty five hundred dollars, and they're selling out in a matter of an hour. Like that shit's crazy, dude. That's so wild to think. Oh like, yeah. You, got, you guys are I mean, doing like, better than I am. Levi Jones posted that one giant lot yeah, like a few yeah. weeks ago, like, and I, I guarantee somebody bought it. Oh, I, I guarantee for sure. Yeah, yeah, dude. I, 
Hey, I mean, props to them. If they can buy it and you know do whatever with it, that's their money. I don't give a shit. But it's just like, wow, yep. you guys, you guys are doing something. You guys got a fucking a rainbow with a with a pot of gold on it or something, because that shit's crazy. Yeah, I'd rather put that money towards something else. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man, but last thing, kind of to wrap it up a little bit. Um, well. Well, we kind of talked about that. Uh, so what are some baits you found success in on the East Coast that uh, that maybe you hadn't fished or hadn't had much success in on the West Coast? Or even just what are what's like a three or four uh, list, what that? three or four bait list that you've had success with on the East Coast? And I mean, a big thing them? for me, East Coast to West Coast was like going more from the trout stuff to the shad stuff. Um right. You know, most of the California stuff, it's all threadfin, which half the time they're eating threadfin. It's, as I like to call it, it's two eyes and a wiggle. There's barely anything there. And you're just not going to get bit with, I mean, you can get bit with the shad stuff, but it's just not as good. And so I think a lot of people know I've done really, really, really well with the paperweight this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the, uh, the slim shad's gotten some bites too. I have a video of me missing a big fish on that thing from a few weeks ago. Oh, fuck. And screaming fuck really, really <laughs> loud. Um, as you're aware, the uh, the Baca burrito mm, yep, yeah. has been good to me. And uh, unfortunately, you know that because I talk about losing a giant in the article. Um, right, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to be very, very transparent due to the nature where I've been fishing. I've been really nervous about throwing my pin stuff there Mm -hmm. um my river is absolutely loaded with giant giant catfish and gar oh shit and when i say giant catfish i mean the the lake above the dam i'm fishing the blue cat record is 92 pounds um i've caught many 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 catfish in the 20 to 30 pound range burning spinner baits and fatter baits Mm-hmm. I had the biggest one I've actually caught so far out of the river was well over 30 and it ate a paperweight. Oh my gosh, um, dude. It ate a paperweight with 10 feet of line out and about two feet of water over a boulder. And you shit yourself? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was wearing brown pants after that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was fishing. Uh, I was I had my kayak facing up current. The thing ate it. You know, like I said, 10 feet of line out. It was just absolute chaos. And mm-hmm. between giant catfish, gar, and snapping turtles, I'm hesitant to throw anything I'm going to have a hard time replacing on the river. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I hooked, I hooked a catfish on a flutter spoon. So one of my buddies gave me a graph, and I went out to one of the deeper parts of the river and dropped like a five-inch flutter spoon down. And on my second rip, I hooked like a 50-pound catfish. Oh my like, God. there's there's just so many giant catfish. It's like you almost don't want to throw anything nice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, dude, that uh, that's a pucker moment right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm gonna let me put it this way: I was fishing a uh, basically a heavy spinnerbait rod on that one, and mm-hmm. I knew it was a catfish immediately. And I had 50 pound braid, 20 pound fluoro, and I'm very, very, very confident in my knots. And I said, I'm just gonna bend the hook out because I had a, a gammy bronze hook on there, and I put my thumb on the spool and I actually had the real seam bending. Oh my gosh. Damn, dude. 
yeah, eventually the hook straightened out. And I was just like, oh my God, I just didn't want to deal with it. I mean, there's, dude, there's been, there were days earlier in the year where I was throwing a lot of conventional stuff, more jigs and shaky heads. I was catching more catfish mm-hmm. than bass on that stuff. So again, it's just, I don't want to lose and destroy my nicer stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck that. I mean, there's a point where casting, considering it gone, but I'm not casting it to lose it on a, on a 60 pound catfish. Like that's not, that's not the goal. Yeah. Like I'll cast it up into a lay down and stuff where there's a good chance I can go back and get it or, you know, right. snap it off knowing that I could catch a big fish, but I don't want to lose it on a big quote unquote shit fish that I have absolutely no reason to try to get next to my kayak and mess around with. The PC term is rough fish. <laughs> Wait, you I got say? a biologist. Rough fish. Oh, <laughs> rough. Yeah, my yeah. I, I got a buddy who's a, bio, a biologist that specializes in fisheries, and he always talks about rough fish. So, um, gar, carp, catfish, stuff like that. Rough fish. But yeah, there's just there's too many rough fish in that water for me to risk it, even on heavy line. You know, I'm. I mean, how many how many times do you go on the universe and say like, oh, I lost my insert expensive rare blip yeah, yeah. to a gar, you know? Yeah, and it's also like, I don't know, fishing, fishing a spot like that where where you hook into uh, you know a nice fish and you you play it gingerly because you're scared to lose the bait and then come to find out you know it's a nine pound largemouth or a six pound spot or you know six seven pound smallmouth because you think it's you know a, a decent sized catfish and it's like oh my gosh like i can't believe i just did that like that's that's also where you know fishing a nice bait and and like having the mindset well, oh i'll just I'll, you know i'll just play them out and stuff and then you screw yourself over and you lose a big bass because you don't you know grind them in or you're you're playing them too much like that's where you know that's where that's where you can't sleep at night because you're like oh my gosh i can't believe i was doing that where is if like you're fishing an s waiver 168 through there dude whatever i hook i'm peeling that <laughs> thing off bottom i don't yeah. care yeah in the in the immortal words of uh mark rogers who i think you absolutely need to dab on here set your drag to hate and pull like fuck yeah, yeah, dude, exactly. That's a hell of a quote. <laughs> um, One of the better ones. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, your so we kind of talked about it a little bit, and we won't spend too much time on it. Closing it up here. So we, I think we talked about it that you that you do make kind of your own rods now for yourself. How did that start? Where where did that uh, idea come from that you wanted to start making your own rods to fish with? So. Uh... As I said very, very early in the podcast, my grandpa got me into fishing. Um, he was he was a bit on the wealthier side when he was alive. Um, he had all of his rods custom wrapped by a tackle shop that I later up later on ended up working at it called Angler Center in Newport Beach. Um, mm-hmm. So custom rods are just kind of always in the back of my head. Um, once I graduated college, I had a little more money. I had a shop in California called Performance Tackle. Um, got a bunch of their rods built. So I've always kind of been on the custom scene, especially the, the Southern California saltwater scene. Like, I'm going to say like 75% of the shops in Southern California have rod wrappers. You know, the custom rod scene out there is huge. Um, so I was kind of known about it. And uh, when I was working on tugboats and living in Southern California, I had tons of time off. I basically lived in the back of performance tackle with the rod wrapper like mm-hmm. i'd have nothing to do and i'm just like All right, i'm just gonna hang out with tommy 
I just watch him. And then uh, fast forward to me moving out here. So like I said, we moved for my wife's job. Um, mm-hmm. I wound up working at a tackle shop out here for a dude named Adam. Um, he actually had sold the shop since, but he was like, you want to learn to wrap rods? And I sat down and it was pretty quick learn. I kind of got Miyagi'd by uh, Tommy <laughs> Performance Tackle. I sat down, I already kind of knew the what to do, how to do it. It was just like a few tweaks and kind of off the races. And I did that for six or eight months um, until I got my big boy job again. And, uh, and then, uh, so it was 2018 and then COVID kicked off and I actually was talking to Adam and he was like, Hey, do you want to, I'll pay you if you build me some rods. Like you can come to the house, grab all my stuff. All right. And, uh, yeah. So back into it. So it's more of just like right now it's tweaking on my own stuff, doing repairs for buddies. If one of my buddies Mm -hmm. wants a rod, like, I just have to buy the materials pretty much at this point. Right. Yeah. Um, so I do have an LLC and all that stuff. So potentially in the future, that'll be a thing, but you know, I do have a real job, which takes up a lot of time and I don't want to ruin rod building for me because I do enjoy it. Yeah. That's like the thing where you have to kind of distance yourself from, because if you get too intertangled with it, it's going to become a job and you're going to hate it. And you're going to, Somebody asks you to make you a rod or make them a rod. (laughs) Well, and even more so, like, you know, I I spent four summers working in a high-end tackle shop. I've hung out in many more tackle shops since then. And just a lot of people that break a rod and say, oh, my God, this rod broke. It's your fault. It's 99% of the time, it's user error. That rod was damaged by the owner at some point. If a rod is going to break, you know, let me... Let me put this very clearly for listeners. <laughs> if a rod breaks and it's not in the first hour of you using it, it's probably not a manufacturer defect as far as the rod itself breaking. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. If a rod is going to break due to a manufacturer defect, it's going to be like within the first few minutes of you casting and loading that rod up. It's going to snap. Mm-hmm. I've had it happen to me. I had a Loomis GLX frog rod at one point that broke. My buddy pulled it out of the truck unhooked the frog and went to pull on just see the bend was like, and it snapped like that's a manufacturer. defect, Right. Yeah. And you and I have talked about that before in the DMS. We kind of mentioned that. Yeah. And dude, <laughs> I mean, um, if you guys are not a part of the Dobbins <laughs> Dobbins group on Facebook, there was a post yesterday. So it'd have been Saturday, the, the 29th. Um, a guy was fishing. What was it? A seven seven thirty three for frogs and lily pads. Like, dude, what are you doing? Blew it up, blew it up twice. Uh, with the first probably like five eyelets, blew it up, and then blew it up right at the label. And he's like, I've been using this style rod for this all the time. And dude, ninety nine percent of the comments are like, Why are you using a rod that ends with three? Why are you not using a seven thirty five or you know, oh, just it's a bigger rod at all? Oh, it's. Uh, I think this is a, uh, will they warranty this? Because I think it's a manufacturer error. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I get the $50 warranty and all this. And I just, I saw that and I saw your comment, uh, Buka commented on it and a couple other Swimbait guys commented on it. And I just kept scrolling because I'm like, oh my gosh, people, people will do anything they can to pawn it off on somebody else's fault. And that goes with anything, obviously not just, you know, rods and stuff, but you see it so much on 
forums where guys are like, oh, I had this rod for three days and it just I just blew the tip off, you know, XYZ, I blew three eyelets off or, or whatever. And it's just like, huh, that's crazy because I have a rod that's going on six years old and I have nothing wrong with it. <laughs> yeah. it's a, I don't yeah, know, man, no it, it's crazy. People just can't admit that maybe it was their fault that something got fucked up. Yeah, and it's and in all honesty, it's probably it started. It's probably something super innocuous, like you pulled out of your car and it just banged into something on the way out, or your rod locker, or maybe you set the hook weird and it touched something. But that next hook set and the next cast and blows up. That's on you. That's not a mm-hmm. manufacturer issue. Right. Yeah. It. Uh, <clears throat> dude, I don't know. It's just like. It's comedy sometimes looking at those rod posts. Like it's Oh, it's absolute comedy. It's like secondhand embarrassment. They're like, Oh well, I I caught it in my door, but then I went to go cast it and it blew up. <laughs> it's like, oh, so you just answered your own question with the first three sentences in your post. Like, okay, got it. I understand what I'm working with now. I, I took my Toyota Camry off roading and the and the wheel fell off. Can you believe yeah. that? Yeah, exactly. Well will Toyota send me a new one? Like uh, I don't know. It's wild. There's a point yeah, that's... Where, yeah, you got to prevent your own. You got to prevent your own maintenance type thing. Yeah, and that's that's why it's more of a. It's still more in the hobby area. Oh, as yeah. far as me wanting to do it, because it's like if I, my buddies that have you know again just paid materials and all that stuff. Like, if it's those dudes, they know. Mm-hmm. Like, they know that I'm gonna lay into them if they try to tell me that because <laughs> i'm gonna bend the rod before they get it right yeah you you put it under load to make sure and then you know three weeks later they snap it and it's like oh i've been fishing it for two and a half weeks it must be your fault like no nah, dude you did something between here and there to cause that malfunction it was not me or it was not a factory defect there buddy <laughs> yeah bust out the checkbook because this is on you yeah exactly exactly but yeah, man. Um, that was everything. I think we covered a whole bunch of stuff that I had wrote down and a whole bunch of extra stuff. Is there anything else that you were uh, ready to talk about that we didn't touch on? No, no, I, I didn't have anything else. Hell yeah, dude. Um, what are, what are the socials so people can follow you if they, uh, if they don't on Instagram? Uh, Instagram is manbrew, M A N underscore B R E U. It's, I don't know, 30% fishing, 30% pit bulls and 30% cooking. So hell yeah, dude. All the if good you, if you're into if you're into pit bulls cooking and occasionally fishing, not just swim bait fishing, also trout fishing and conventional fishing. Follow me if you want. No, oh, not offended. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't even get into our breakdown of the sous vide or anything. That was something we completely missed. I was gonna bring it up at one point in time, but I completely <laughs> forgot to. Yeah, well, you know, there's a there's a boneless leg lamb roast in the sous vide right now that I'm. It's about coming up on uh, our. Oh wow! Come up on hour six here, so I'm gonna cut it in half and char the hell out of it, and have that for dinner here pretty soon. Hell yeah! I've got a pork tenderloin in in mind, so I th- I'm thinking I did I did one thirty for about uh, about two and a half three hours. I can't remember what I pressed, but it's it's probably damn near done by the time we wrap this up. So I couldn't have timed that any better. <laughs> Perfect. That's that's the glory of it. you don't you don't really have to do anything. It's a set it forget it method. Dude, it is so nice when I'm recording podcasts. Come home if I tell a guy 5:30, I'll, I'll leave work like 10 minutes early. Come home, throw a chicken breast or two in the sous vide, set it for an hour and a half, two hours, done recording. Hurry up and uh, hurry up and sear it, and it's fucking dinner's ready to go. All in a matter of 10 minutes of getting done with the podcast. It is so nice. 
and it's perfectly cooked. Yeah, dude, lifesaver. But <clears throat> yeah, I will. I'll put Andrew's uh, Instagram in the in the description so you guys can go follow him if you don't already on the Instagram. Um, as always, I want to thank Andrew for coming on. Make sure when you guys go follow him, follow the podcast if you don't already. Scales and Tails underscore podcast on Instagram. And uh, check out the Patreon if you don't. Patreon, uh, enter, do the 5 or $10 a month. Automatically gets you the monthly sticker. Or automatically enters you into the monthly sticker giveaway. As well as uh, you get um, you get early access to the magazine and some early leak stuff to the magazine. And then uh, check out Lake Pro Tackle. Use code SCALES, SCALES all cap locks, at, uh, at checkout to get 15% off your order. Leviathan SCALES 20, get 20% off your order. And I think other than that, I think that's everything. But I want to thank Andrew for coming on. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. It was a good one. We talked about a whole lot of stuff, you know, a whole bunch of randomness. So I think uh, I think it'll be super good. I'm excited to listen to it and hear the stuff that I should have asked that I completely forgot. But that just means we'll have to get him back on and uh, and talk a little bit more. But Andrew, I want to thank you for coming on. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and I'll talk to you guys next time. See you guys. <laughs>